want to encourage you to open your Bibles. And again, if you've gotten the QR code, then you're going to be able to see the sermon notes for this morning's message where we're continuing to think about the different world that we live in, the world of um, COVID, yes, and um, especially in the coming weeks and already this week, the world of school for some folks, um, both educators and educatees, um, that's a different world again, um, the different world of the workplace that we've come to discover, but all of that in light of the different world that comes to us from scripture of how God shows up through the Holy Spirit in the new life of the disciples after Christ's ascension. Um, and we're thinking together, we've gone through this series, thinking together about how Christ has equipped this group of people, the disciples in the early church, to live into a different mindset, a different understanding of how it is that they express faith in God. Being from uh, a tradition, uh, thousands and thousands of years of tradition in the Jewish faith, to Christ coming and transforming those traditions, and transforming the law, and transforming the understanding understanding of that to this new thing. And then how do we learn from the disciples into living into whatever new thing we are confronted with in our different world? That's what we're going to be discovering together from Acts chapter 16, verses 14 through 40. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. And as we uh, jump into God's word, um, actually before that, I didn't do that, and I apologize. I haven't done that in a while. Um, I would ask that our kids stand for a moment. We're going to bless our kids. We haven't done that in a while. Come on, stand up, kids. We love you, and we want to bless you. Um, and those of you who are present here, know that this, this whole patio is your, your, um, your canvas. You're welcome to use your chalk and worship. You're welcome to use the paper that you have and worship. You're welcome to um, continue to discover how God is speaking to you this morning. We love you, and we hope that you experience the presence and the Spirit of God this morning. Let's raise our hand in blessing to our kids both here present, but also those kids at home in the digital world, and our blessing is simply this to them. May you always know God's love. One, two, three. May you always know God's love. And kids, turn to your family and friends and raise your hand in blessing to them. And your blessing is the same. Raise your hands. One, two, three. May you always know God's love too. All right, kids, you're going to have a seat. Be blessed. Know that we love you. My question for you this morning as we begin is... Um, when is it easy to worship? I want you to think about that in your own walk with Jesus. When is it easy to worship? It's, it's probably um, easy in maybe in some ways to worship here in this space, right? We're outside. It's a beautiful, if not very hot day, but it's a beautiful day. We get to uh, see the mountains in the background. We, we feel a little bit of a breeze and we are thankful to God when the breeze comes. Um, we have a wonderful praise team, very gifted, who can lead us into worship. I hope that this this is an easy place for you to worship. But are there other places where you can worship? I know that um, when um, Kristen and I and our family go to the beach, that's oftentimes an easy place to just sort of be in the presence of God, right? The rhythm of the waves crashing on the ocean, the call of birds that are flying past, um, just being present in this uh, beautiful spot of that. Or maybe for you, it's in the mountains where you find a space where there's quiet and there's maybe the sound of animals in the forests. Maybe that's a place for you to worship. But this morning, 
in our word, the word that God has given us from his scriptures, we find a place to worship that would probably be more difficult for us, right? It's a place of great trial. It's actually a place of suffering this morning that we're going to discover that Paul and Silas are in. And as we look at this spot where these two followers of Jesus express worship, it's important for them for us to understand how it is that we are called to worship, even in difficult circumstances of challenge and even suffering. And I know for all of us, we are experiencing some level of suffering right now. We have the challenges of not being able to connect with people that we love, a community that we long to have a full sanctuary and be able to give praise to God together. We're limited in terms of where we can travel and the things that we do. There's also, all, all, for all of us, some level of suffering. How do we think about worship in that place of suffering? That's what we're going to dive into this morning. As we dig into God's word and ask for his um, presence and blessing on our time, let's pray that he shows us what it is that he wants us to see. Father, be present with us. We ask, Lord, that you speak to us through your word this morning. Help us to understand your call to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, regardless of circumstances. And that means, Lord, that we can be people of worship no matter what our world looks like. If it is a world of just um, the same old thing every day, that can be a place of worship. If it is a wor- place of great joy and a wedding that, we've, that have, has been celebrated or kids or grandkids that have been born or other things that, Lord, we can worship you in those circumstances, but we can also worship you in the difficulty. We can worship you when there's illness, when there's strife, when there's challenge, even, Lord, when there's death. And that, Lord, we learn from Paul and Silas and your spirit in them this morning what it means to be people who focus on those things that are of you and not the things of the world so that as we focus on your things, that you move us to worship. You move us to proclaim your name. You move us to focus on the best things around us. Lord, equip us to that end through your Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 16. We're beginning at, not verse 14, verse 16. It says this there, 16 through 21, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. As we dig into God's word this morning, first of all, note 
Note that Paul and Silas are not the only people there. Who else is there in the text? Who do we see that's there? Does anybody notice that? Anyone? Yell it out if you know. Takes a little bit of work, actually. Can you see that Luke is present? Let's begin the passage again. Once when we were going to the place of prayer. Who wrote the book of Acts? It's Luke. Luke is also present, and he's part of the retinue that is around Paul and Silas. So what he's saying here is an eyewitness account. They're part of the group that is supporting Paul and Silas in their ministry. And you're noticing that there is an exhibition of different gifts. Paul and Silas are the mouthpieces. Luke is the scribe, and he's keeping track of what's going on, while Paul and Silas, in some ways, are out front. You got to respect sort of Luke, because Luke is sort of the guy who's behind and saying, if somebody gets in trouble, it's not going to be me. Because that's exactly what happens, right? Someone gets in trouble. Paul and Silas get in trouble, and they get in trouble because of this woman. And this woman is actually doing something pretty helpful for them. She's like, have you ever heard the phrase town crier? Does anybody ever heard that phrase, a town crier? In the olden days, in the middle uh, medieval times, if you had to share news with a town, there would be a person who would get that news and they would stand in the city square and they would do this. It was with their phrase, oh yay, oh yay. And then when they said, oh yay, oh yay, everyone knew that there was some news for them to hear and then they could, they could find out what was going on. This woman is a town crier for the disciples and she says these words, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good advertising, right? It seems to make sense that Paul and Silas would be grateful for this because then they didn't have to shout so loud and gather the crowds. Here's this woman, probably well-known in the community, and she's somebody who's yelling out, these men can help you learn how to be safe. The only problem is, if that happened day after day, moment after moment, you might get frustrated. For example, I love it. Sharon, I'm glad you're here. I hope I can hear an hallelujah or an amen from you sometime. I hope I can hear it. I love when it is that you share your hallelujahs or amen or any of you. The only thing is, if Sharon did that every four seconds, it would probably get to be a little irritating after a while. So bless you, sister. That's maybe not the way to go. Once or twice a sermon, three times, great. But if it were every four seconds, it might get irritating. I might at some point say to Sharon, hey, Sharon, God bless you. I, I praise that the spirit is within you, but slow down a little bit. That's what Paul is sort of hoping for, but it doesn't happen. She never stops. It's constant. And finally, he says these words. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So we get this healing in a sense, but the healing gets Paul and Silas in trouble. And in that healing, Paul gives the gift of freedom to this woman. Instead of her being compelled by this spirit to yell out this thing over and over again, you can imagine that there was some relief for her, but some frustration for her owners. Because if she fortune tells, then they can say, okay, Come talk to our slave. Remember, she's a slave. Come talk to her slave and 
will charge you this sum and she'll tell you a little bit about the future. All of a sudden, that goes away. But you notice when they talk to the leaders of uh, um, the magistrates, that's the word that's used here, the problem is that they state is not that they've lost their money. Instead, they use these words. They say, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Their motivation is greed, but that's not what they're saying. Paul and Silas are stuck in the middle of a political conversation. I want you to put that in your hat and save it for later because we're going to discuss that in a moment. They're in the middle of a political conversation. It's a power struggle. These people want to make money. Paul and Silas are stopping them from making money. And so they say one thing in order to get them imprisoned. And the imprisonment happens. Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So a couple things that we noticed right away. First of all, these people are wealthy who are making the accusations against Paul and Silas. They have slaves. They're about making money. And because they have slaves and they're about making money, they probably have the ear of the magistrates, right? You know how that works? It's about, what do we say? If you need to get something done, it's about who you know or the other phrase is, if we're wondering what talks, money talks. So we have money talking, and we have people who know the right powers that be, so they complain to them. Paul and Silas are calling the people towards activities that are not Roman. And so the people, uh, the magistrates say, well, of course we're going to take care of something that separates uh, the people from their Roman magistrates and their Roman rulers. We're going to throw Paul and Silas in jail. That's not what's happening, but that's what they say. And it puts on a good front for everybody around them. Now remember, in the midst of all of this, Paul does have something in his back pocket that he doesn't use. He has a get-out-of-jail-free card. What's that get-out-of-jail-free card? Do we know what it is? His what? He's a Roman citizen. Because he's a Roman citizen, he, all he has to say is, I'm a Roman citizen. And those magistrates go, oh, you're a Roman citizen. That changes everything. He doesn't tell them that. He does a little bit later. You'll see how it changes the story. Paul and Silas have a choice on how to engage with all this political stuff going on around them. They can engage with it and try to fight the powers that be, or they can submit to God's will for what's going on around them and make the best of their circumstances, seeking to, instead of challenging and engaging with the world, to honor God. They choose, instead of challenging the powers, to honor God. It's interesting that we notice that. Now, for us to ask the question, how is it that we respond to situations like that? I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, 
There's a situation that's going on. It's not far from here, less than an hour away, that has been a big deal in the news this past week. You've all heard of John MacArthur. Yeah? You know who John MacArthur is? You've heard of heard the name? He's a pastor. He's over in, is it Orange County or L.A. County? I think it's Orange County. But he, is it L.A. County? L.A. County. And he is an individual who is, leads a church, a large church. And he has chosen to meet in their sanctuary for worship without face masks, doing everything that it is that they normally do. He's been faced with a political conversation and he's chosen to engage with that in a certain way. Now, I'm not going to get into the rightness or wrongness of what it is that John MacArthur is doing, but what I want to sort of contrast that with is what it is that we're seeking to do. We're seeking to live into a space where, yes, we're worshiping together and we're trying to do that to the best of our ability and God be praised. Hopefully you sense the spirit is here, amen? But we're doing this in a way that is not causing conflict and strife with both the government nor with our neighbors. Hopefully the people going past can see we're trying to do our best with the situation. How we choose to respond when the Lord gives or when the Lord takes away is important. Are we focused on the powers around us or the world's sort of focus or are we instead focused on what God is calling us to do? Paul and Silas this morning are giving us an example of what it means to submit to God's will even when it doesn't seem fair. Even when it doesn't seem like it's appropriate for what has happened. Paul, have, Paul and Silas are in jail because people are greedy. They've said another thing though. It's unfair that they're in jail. And yet they've been able to say, Lord, your will be done and I will focus what it is that you call me to do. And it's hard because here's what God calls them to do. To stand there over whatever, while they got beaten on their backs. Being flogged is, there's a lot of different ways that it happens, but imagine a whip. It's more or less a whip. And there's something that crossed your back over and over again. Usually it was, I think it was either 39 or 40 minus one or 49 minus one. That's how many flogs you would get. Because the idea was whatever that 40 or 50 would kill you. They wanted to make sure you were as close to being killed without being killed. And you would be, you would, your back would be wide open with cuts. You would, be, you would be in great deals of pain. Oftentimes people passed out because of flogging. And they do that in submission to God's will, even when Paul has to get out of jail free card. Lord, your will be done. I will seek to honor you and not engage in the powers of this world. And here's what happens, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must they do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Jailers brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So because Paul and Silas engage in obedience to God and ignore the power, the, 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 the power struggle going on around them, because they're in obedience to God and obedience to Christ, um, Jailer and his whole household were transformed by the Spirit of God. Why? Because Paul and Silas worshipped out of a place of suffering. They, in the middle of having their backs ripped open with cuts and flogging, the, the results of flogging, in the midst of full darkness, this is the inner court of the jail, no lights. It was fully and completely dark. They're in chains. They don't need to be in chains. They're probably too weak to even move. And yet, despite that, they're chained down with these heavy chains in complete darkness with open backs. And what does it say that they are doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. The dregs of humanity weren't saying to Paul and Silas, shut up. Be quiet. Keep your voice down. I'm trying to sleep here. They're listening to these men who are giving God praise despite their suffering. Now, friends, I don't know what suffering you are experiencing right now, but I can guess that it's not nearly an open back of sores in the darkness of the night chained in jail. Despite their difficulty of their circumstances, these are people who are worshiping God with all it is that they can, with all it is that they have, despite their circumstances, and that worship has power. It makes me think of those families who will often go through difficult illnesses with a loved one. They're in the hospital sometimes for months for long weeks, and, and those days can be difficult, especially if that person is suffering. And yet, oftentimes, families will gather and sing hymns and songs together in the room of suffering. And that worship in that moment has power to the people who are in the hospitals, power to the people who are in the next bed over. I've oftentimes, because um, of that experience for families where worship has happened in that way where there's a roommate, I've oftentimes as a pastor been able to go talk to the family and then talk to the roommate afterwards and say, hey, can I pray for you? And they're, and they're like, yes, there's something about this family. I need what it is that they have. That worship has power when we're able to do it out of suffering. So much so that the jailer and his entire household is transformed. What can we learn from that? Instead of being caught up in the power plays of the world around us, focusing on instead God's call for us to give, to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength, regardless of our circumstances, and focus on the things that he calls us towards, to worship him in all of that. What power comes from that as we learn from it? The passage closes, verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the order, release those men. 
The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. So we see what's happening is they're trying to get rid of Paul and Silas. Let's make the whole problem disappear. We knew that we put them in jail for not an appropriate reason. Now we kick them out, get them out of jail. No one else will know about it. It'll, we'll just say, oh, we released them. And the magistrates will look good. But Paul's not having that. He says to them, Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial. Even though we are Roman citizens, he brings out his card, and threw us into prison. Now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come and escort, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. When they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. It's a really interesting dynamic because Paul and Silas are in prison. They get released. And in a sense, it's like, hey, we're releasing you. We're being nice. Go out of town and be quiet about it. And Paul says, no, I'm a Roman citizen. I have rights. I have position. You can't do that to me. And all of a sudden they find out, oh no, big trouble. And they try to appease them. We hear that. And finally, Paul and Silas do leave. But they leave before they carry out all that they could have carried out. Because they were Roman citizens, what had happened to them was unjust. Instead, they say, okay, we have other work to do. We're going to leave it. We're going to leave it for who? God. We're going to leave God to take care of what only God can take care of. And we're going to take care of what only we can take care of. So they go to Lydia's house and they encourage the church. And they go and they praise God together with his people. And they leave the other stuff, the place where they, they could have, in Philippi, they could have gotten all the magistrates kicked out. There could have been hearings. There could have been court cases that they rose against these magistrates who had unjustly treated them, who had flogged them without cause, who had put them in jail saying that it was about Roman behavior. Instead, it was about greed. They could have done all of that. Instead, they focused on the things that God had called them to and the things that they could be a part of the Spirit's transformation in their world, and they left the rest to God because God is omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful, and will take care of all things in his time. He might use you, but he may use somebody else. You be focused, us be focused, Paul and Silas be focused on the things that they can do, and the net result is a whole household changed. Jailers and his whole family all the people who are in prison having heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ, a city that is encouraged by the power of God. And then what do they do? It's one of those funny phrases and it's so quick, we might miss it. Then they left. They left. They had other things that they were gonna focus on and they were gonna leave all this stuff to the Lord. For us to be able to hear that, I'm going to be honest, I get really frustrated sometimes, even with myself, because I do this, Kristen can tell you, 
I get fired up sometimes. Sitting in my easy chair, she'll tell me about some situation going on because now she's on Facebook. I'm not. She'll tell me about something going on. And I'll be sitting in my easy chair getting fired up about something that I have no dog in the hunt on. Anyone ever have that? You're reading something, uh, you're reading an article, you see a report and you get fired up because of it. And you're like, boy, that's wrong. That's unjust. Or this is how they should address that. This is how they could think about that. The only problem that I have is that's a situation that I can do how much about? Nothing. I can't change that thing a bit. I can't impact that situation one iota. That is not my thing to change or address. I can simply hear it for information, saying, Lord, your will be done, and move on to what? My wife, who I can have impact on and can have impact on me. Where we can grow in faith and in love for Jesus and for each other. On my kids, Troy and Cameron, who are in my home, and Cam, Cam, and Theo, the most beautiful grandchild on the planet in Michigan. Those people that I can impact on, uh, people that are in my staff, that are in the office, people in this community, people in my neighborhood, people that I come in contact with at the stores and the gas stations and whatever it else that is that I am engaged with. I cannot impact Sacramento very well. I can maybe make a phone call. I can maybe write a letter, but I'm not going to have the same impact on that than I can on a staff or family or neighbor that God has called me to serve and to love, to worship in such a way with all of my life that I proclaim the love and the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ so that they might hear it and be transformed and impacted by that. And ultimately, if God's will be done, that may change the world. I don't know how that's going to work. But what I do know is that if I'm focused on changing the whole world, I miss the worlds around me. I get so caught up in the politics of the world's power that I miss the role and the responsibility that God has called me to, to worship him in this circumstance, in my place, in my calling, in my neighborhood, and in my family. Friends, Are we caught up in getting fired up about stuff that we cannot change one bit? Or instead, are we living in such a way with the worship of all of our lives, all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strength in what it is that God has us in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in such a way that we can expect and believe that the transformation will happen. Paul and Silas's neighborhood was a prison. And because of their worship, their worship which was different, a whole jail was changed. What is it that God might do as you and I live faithfully into the worship that he's called you to in your part of the world, in your place, despite the challenge, despite the difficulty, even despite the suffering? What is it that God will do to transform and change your world as you live faithfully into that spot, in that place, loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's our call this morning but we need to be equipped to that call. And we're not equipped through our own ability and our own power. We're equipped instead through the strength and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.
Holy Spirit, you have equipped us in Jesus' name to live into the calling that you've given us in our world, in our neighborhood, in our families, in our workplaces, in our world. We trust you, Father, to take care of those things over which we have no control over. We understand, God, you are greater than any ability that we might have or any, any power of this world that may seek to exercise their will outside of you and obedience to you. And we trust you, God, with these big things. We understand that, Lord, you will transform them according to your will, your plan, and your purpose. That is what you and you alone can do. And we ask, Father, that you equip us now with your presence, with your body, with your blood in such a way that we can go from this place energized and equipped to, trans, uh, to be a part of your transformation in the world around us, that we can proclaim with our words, with our lives, with our worship, regardless of circumstances, that you are God, that Jesus Christ is Lord. To you be all glory now and forever. Amen.